With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. Football is back, MLB playoffs are heating up, and your favorite artists are on tour. But did you know you can go to events like these for half off when you buy last minute with Game Time? It's the fastest growing ticketing app that guarantees the lowest price on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. So download Game Time, create an account, and redeem code PODCAST for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's PODCAST for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, JN, Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are, it's about time for us to get done. Just as we finish with all the opponent season previews, that means it's time to do the Kansas season preview. We've been talking about all the stories that have been happening uh, throughout the season, or throughout the offseason, as we're getting ready to get ready for the season. This is game week, though, so that means there's not really much time left to talk about the Kansas Jayhawks, to wrap up everything that we have uh, heard everything that we have seen in this off season so far. I have joining me. Uh, he is the host of Rock Talk Sports Talk in uh, Lawrence on KLWN thirteen twenty, and the host of the uh, Locked On Jayhawks podcast, Derek Johnson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's football week. How could you? How could you be doing poorly? I mean, we get legal betting in Kansas starting this week, right for yeah. the start of college football season. Yeah, like literally the day before, you know, the season kicks off. That means that everybody is like getting all of their betting advice now so they can stockpile it. And once it becomes legal, you know, because of course everybody's going to wait till it's officially legal to actually go bet. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but no. So a lot has happened in this offseason. Um, like a lot has happened in the offseason, but I, I think we could probably kind of boil it all down to a couple different buckets in terms of roster changes and uh, like like all the new guys coming in um the fact that there wasn't really that many guys that actually left but if you had to pick one thing that happened this offseason that's going to be most impactful for the Jayhawks coming up this year what do you think that is it would have to be the transfer portal for me and if I had to pick one from the transfer portal too I think Lonnie Phelps is the one that I'm circling the most um I, I mean I, I I'm big on what Craig Young could be and like Kai Thomas is flashy and, and adds a lot there, but you lost a lot with Kyron Johnson. He was your best pass rusher on a defense that already struggled. So you're taking away one of your best defenders at one of the most important positions on the field to a defense to give up 42 points per game. I think there's a chance Lonnie Phelps production wise puts up similar, if not even better numbers than what Kyron Johnson does 
I, I think that's a huge get for them. I also look at the D-line, and, and they should just be better around that one position that Lonnie Phelps occupies, so that just make it easier on its own than if Kyron Johnson's having to deal with all these doubles. That's the one pickup. But, but outside of that, if, if you're just looking at, like, holistically, you know, having an actual full off season that they didn't have last year, like that, that probably yeah. <laughs> matters more than any one individual player. Which, and, and, and that's actually where I was going to go next. Cause obviously last off season was extremely truncated, was kind of weird. We didn't even really know in the off season. It wasn't until fall camp that we really got to figure out what Leipold was trying to do. And even then it was a you know very short amount of time, but even comparing this off season to like, say, a Les Miles offseason or a David Beatty offseason. What have you noticed that's been different about the way that Leipold and staff has been conducting this offseason? Certainly the quarterback, right? With David Beatty, it was, hey, we might not even know the quarterback till literally the very first snap of the game, right? And that's that's a lot different. We had the Jalen Daniels comment in like the first day of media availability from Leipold's at camp about him being the week one starter. And that kind of was something that was almost assumed really all off season to this point anyway um that's obviously a lot different than with like the David Beatty era with the the Les Miles era and I think I'd, I'd probably go back to David Beatty as well like I, I think in the David Beatty era a lot of it to me gets summed down to worrying about the wrong things sometimes and I think of the Les Miles era it was it was almost boiled down to not worrying about some of the right things enough. And with this staff, it feels like you've found kind of the right medium of like, there were non-required weightliftings for the like less miles era coaches and stuff. And then these guys come in and there's much more structured approach between just getting your weightlifting in or the nutritional side of it. Like, what are you eating, logging different stuff. And then just from a standpoint, and this is from last year too, but this year, obviously, you have guys that are more more comfortable with it. It's just the, the the way the practice goes. Like, they're constantly going. Everything's fast. Everything's quick. And they're, they're basically doing it to maximize reps because you need as many reps as possible to get better, to have that player development. And that wasn't something that was always happening in the past. It's just noticeable how much quicker they do everything. And now in year two with the program, I think the biggest difference, like a lot of the coaches talked about this too, is that in year one, all the players are trying to figure out the new system, not just in terms of the scheme and the playbook, but in terms of well, what are we doing at practice? Where are we going from here to here? What drills are we doing? How do I do this drill right? And now you're seeing a lot of the players who were part of last year's team, especially the upperclassmen players, lead their position group. So it's not just the coaches of that position group that are leading the team. It's the players taking accountability of it. And I know Lance Leipold and the coaches have said this a lot, that we'll start having results. We'll start seeing things go in the positive way when the players start taking accountability of the program. And I don't know that it's, it's fully to where they want it just yet because it does take time to build that culture and everything, but it seems like they're trending in the right way. So that's, that's pretty noticeable a difference. Yeah. I mean, to your point, you know, it was, I believe it was the final press conference at the end of fall camp where they were talking about like trying to get lots of players in and that the main difference between last year and this year I think was the number of people that were available like you look at like linebacker and safety and cornerback they basically have doubled the size of reasonable like people that can reasonably play at each of those positions which has been absolutely fantastic for them but the main thing that they were talking about is that there's so many more players that they are comfortable being at the level where they can you know 
give them something during the year that can actually be productive, can can contribute on the field and be ready to do that, which gives them a lot more options in practice. I think they said the big struggle last year was they didn't have enough guys to run all the things they wanted to run because guys would get you tired. And so you have to like teach them certain things. This year, they're having a hard time getting everybody all the reps that they want them to get because there's so many of them and it allows them to do a lot more different things and practice a lot of other types of things and get more reps in and everything. But there's so many guys now that are available to participate in those reps that that it's kind of the opposite problem. I, I think kind of to your point about comparing what Leipold and staff has done uh, to like Les Miles and David Beatty, it seemed like with David Beatty, it was, you know, Beatty felt like he had to be the guy to fix everything. Um, when, you know, even the things that he probably, you know, if he's admitting to himself, like being honest with himself, he wasn't qualified to actually fix. Whereas Les Miles was a guy who was, he almost kind of came in as a, look at me, I'm going to be able to go ahead and do this because I'm a national championship winning coach. Like it was more about Les Miles and that, that he, everything was going to be fine because he was there to kind of help things. Whereas this is a much different with Leipold where it is, you know, we want consistency, but we want to be able to teach our guys what we expect from them so that they can go and do it on their own and we don't have to hold their hand the entire way. And we saw that last year, they were teaching everybody everything and it took a while for them to get used to everything. And, and we saw that towards the end of the year where they were finally, it was all sinking in and becoming second nature this year. Like you were talking about, you know, I forget which coach it was, but they gave a quote. I think it was like the third day of fall camp where he was like, yeah, they're basically taking half my job. Like I, I go and I try to coach someone on something that I saw and one of the upper class classmen is already over there doing it for me. And so that's, I think, the biggest difference here is that there's a shared responsibility for learning and developing here between the coaches and players, whereas before it seemed like the coaches thought that they had to do it or that they were just naturally going to have the players go ahead and do it. There wasn't that work, I think, on both sides. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. It's With this staff, it's it's more of a... I don't know, put your head to the grindstone type of uh, approach where with the last two to different levels, it was more kind of, you know, look at me, look what I'm doing here, look, look at the hard worker, look at the past national championship trophy, whatever it is. It is just more about the, like you hear this all the time. It's kind of a coach speak, like cliche thing, but like uh, look at the process, not the results, stuff like that. But it's another thing to actually live it, and this coaching staff does. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and I think kind of to a degree, if, if if Les Miles had been here for another few years, the shine of coming to play for a coach who you know won a national championship, but not having any success here at Kansas because you know they struggled quite a bit on the X's and O's while he was here. Um, I, I think he would have gotten to a point where like the recruiting bump wouldn't have been nearly as big because we saw the first few classes come in and they weren't able to do anything. This was almost perfect timing, like. Obviously, you never want a scandal to happen where you have to fire your head coach, especially for things that didn't happen at your own school. But, like, it it was almost kind of the perfect thing for right for for Les Miles to get those two recruiting classes, bring in a nice, you know, talent base, and now Lance Leipold gets to mold them into something that can actually be competitive at football. At least that's what we're hoping for, and that's what we're assuming is going to happen. So let's go ahead and jump into the actual roster itself, kind of what we're seeing from these guys. And, and you know, you, you started over on the defensive side. So let's, so let's actually go ahead and start there. Like, like I was saying, we had, you know, a lot of people that came in via the transfer portal. Um, you know, and, and I think the biggest thing that really kind of jumped out to me was at the end of the spring preview, you know, the, the main thing you heard in terms of things that they needed to get better at things they really needed to do was, well, we need to find a way to get better in our cornerback room. Like that was like he flat out said, 
I don't think we have enough talent there for what we want to do. And to their credit, they went out and got a whole bunch of talent. They picked up a lot of guys that could play cornerback, a lot of safeties that could also play cornerback, and a lot of guys that could play a bunch of different positions. Um, you know, what do you think of kind of the job they've done kind of transforming this defense from what we saw last year, which was, again, a defense that had some top-end talented guys, but not nearly enough of them to hold up throughout an entire game. And now I'm not even sure, like, how you decide who doesn't make the two deep. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you look at the way that they faded over the course of games. Like, you, there were several games where they were in it into halftime or into the third quarter. Like, the Baylor game, the Coastal Carolina games are, are the ones that, that come to mind the most for me. Where all of a sudden, then, the, by the time it's the fourth quarter, middle of the way, the game's over, right? And and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that KU didn't have as much depth last year and that that happened. Like, that seems to make sense for me because – over the course of the game, it's not just about if guys get injured, what is your depth going to do? It's can I throw in the backup linebacker, the backup corner for one series here, for five plays here to give the other guy a breather, to give him a, a break or to talk this over with him on the sideline. And that's part of it too. Like the starters should be better this year, but the depth is just completely overhauled this year. And, and a big part of that is what you did with the transfer portal. So you mentioned like the corner position and the defensive backs, just in general, you have Marvin Grant coming in from Purdue and you see OJ Burroughs kind of rise to the occasion in competition. And now on the first depth chart, like they're listed as, or so you have two comp or capable guys next to Kenny Logan there at the corner position. Um, you bring in like Kalon Gervin, you bring in whether it's Monte McGarry from Utah state or, um, I guess with a guy like Jarrett Paul, he's listed as a safety, but he might play a little bit of corner there. That that gives you more depth, but it also raises the level of those returning guys with like Jacoby Bryant and uh, Romello Dotson and Shad Dabney and stuff that those guys have seen their play improve. And if you're going to beat out some of these talented transfers that we know that had success or have talent from other places, that clearly is an indication that those players have gotten a lot better. So it's hard for me not to see the defense and, and not think they should be a lot better. I mean, the linebacking core was maybe the worst in the, the power five last season. I don't know how much better they can get because they brought in a lot of players, but there's a big jump to be had from where they were to where they need to go. But everywhere across the board, they should be better on defense. Like literally every position. The only question you'd have is back to Lonnie Phelps. Can he have the same production or better than Kyron Johnson? And if you do think he can, then they are better literally everywhere on defense at literally every position at literally every point of depth. How much better? I don't know. Cause you give 42 points per game. You could be 10 points better, which would be a huge increase and still be one of the lower tier defenses in the big 12. But uh, they definitely should grow a, a large amount this season. Yeah. And I think the one thing that the defense was good at last year was taking advantage of situational, like, you know, good situational defense at times. Like if if the opponent made a mistake, they were actually pretty good at jumping on it and doing something with it. The problem, of course, was there weren't nearly enough mistakes for them to rely on that solely. And, you know, as you got towards the end of the of the game, it was a lot more difficult for a team to make a mistake like that because you got your guys were just so tired. But I kinda I, I think kind of to your point, you know, you're talking about um like bringing in Lonnie Phelps to replace Kyron Johnson. I actually looked at this for part of 
um, the previews that I did for some of the positions. And if you look at the ratings that Lonnie Phelps had last year, like look at Pro Football Focus, some of the other ones that great individual linemen or great individual defenders and look at what their performances were, Lonnie Phelps actually graded out higher across the board than Kyron Johnson did, which, again, you, you, you do have to take into account level of competition to some degree. But they do try to adjust for opponents in those ratings. So it's not like it's a simple, oh, he put up a bunch of stats against, you know, lower level competition. And, and so he gets a high grade for it. You know, they, they do adjust. You, you can't adjust out that entirely, but it at least gives you confidence that he has the base level of talent needed to kind of step in and fill that same, same type of role. Now, of course, it definitely is going to be a question of can he do it as well as Kyron Johnson did because, Johnson played absolutely phenomenally last year, and he was probably the bright spot on a defense that had a lot of potential bright spots that just weren't able to to shine as brightly as he was. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Monty Phelps, how they kind of change things up to take advantage of that. But the other thing that Kyron Johnson didn't really have the advantage of was a good defense behind him to give him more time to get to the ball, to get to the ball carrier or to the quarterback because, you know, there was, especially late in games, there was a lot of times where, the ball was out really quick because there was a ton of openings that was available there for that quarterback to take. And Johnson just like Johnson had his biggest impacts at the beginning of the game when everybody was fresh, when he could really do his work and not have to worry about if there was going to be a gaping hole behind him at the linebacker spot. So um, yeah, I am very interested to kind of see how they, how they bring all that together, but kind of to your point, you were talking about Marvin Grant, you know, being a guy at safety, like he started all 13 games for Purdue last year and coming into this, you know, into this defense, being able to slot in immediately and it not being like a shoe in that he is going to be the starter tells you that the level of talent here is much better than it has been in the past. And I think overall, you know, we are going from, uh, well, looking at defense, you're probably only as good as your backups are like in terms of consistency over the course of the, the, the game, because if the other team can take advantage of your backup being in for a long passing play for a touchdown or something like that, it doesn't matter how good your, your starters are because it's impossible for them to play the entire game. The fact is, I think now we have raised the baseline of what that backup position is going to be at every single position along the defense. Now it's just a matter of can they go out and execute and how well can the opposing teams adjust now that they actually have to you know, play straight up. They can't wait for some guy to come in that's going to get beat over the top every time. Yeah. Um, I mean, whether it is injury, whether it's because guys are going to beat others out over the course of the season as well. Like, that's the thing. Like, Taiwan Berryhill's listed as, as a starter over Lorenzo McCaskill. That might continue on because we've heard a lot of really good things about Taiwan Berryhill. Or it could just be that Lorenzo McCaskill wasn't here for spring ball and um, he was a couple days late to the start of camp to where, you know, maybe he just needs to get to know the playbook. But the fact of the matter is that of those other players, those returners took to the job to, to overcome that and whatnot. But uh, I guess the point being there is that you feel good about where you are with the two deep, no matter where it is, that if there is that injury that is inevitably going to come, you feel better about where someone is. And, and I think it goes beyond the two deep too, because like, on the defensive line, you're going to play a bunch of guys on the defensive line. Jim Panagos, the uh, defensive uh, interior defensive line coach, kind of talked about that, or, or maybe it's the DNs. I don't even remember. They, they split up the two of them. Um, that we're going to play is like if, if you have 12 good defensive linemen, you'll play them all. So, like, having that depth is so important. And I, I, I think 
you look at even the third strings on some of those positions and you actually feel a lot better. Like we didn't see Tommy Dunn show up on the two deep and he's someone who redshirted last year that could have a bright future for KU as a redshirt freshman and a defense tackle. Same for like Ron McGee. Like he played a good amount last year at one of the defensive tackle spots. We didn't see him on the two deep. There's other spots of, uh, where that's kind of the case too, whether you look in the secondary or at linebacker that you just feel better than where you were last year. And it's, it's never good to go into a football season and be like, okay, which this is kind of scary about the offensive line. Um, hey, I feel good about the starters, but I know, uh, like, I do not feel good at all about the backups because chances are your backups are going to play at some point in time. Well, and, and actually, we'll actually get there because I there are some very interesting comments from the offensive linemen as well because that is typically one of the positions where you don't want, you know, like you don't want to be relying on backups quite a bit for that one because – Offensive line in and of itself is built so much on chemistry, but but on the defensive line, you want as many guys as possible, right? Because you want to give as many different looks. You want guys that can do different things, but similar enough that they can be effective in whatever setup you have. So, like, the whole goal there is if you can have 12 guys that rotate in on the defensive line, that's fantastic for you because everybody's fresh. Everybody is able to kind of do what they do, and you can, you can use guys situationally to get where you want to get. Um, but that was kind of the big emphasis that came out of fall camp this year was we're going to get as many guys as possible ready to play. And if a guy is ready to play, he's going to play. Don't know how much he's going to play or what packages he's going to play in or something like that. But if there's a guy that's ready to play, we will find a way to get him on the field, which I think is a completely different um, environment than we have seen in the past here. And at a lot of different programs, you know, because typically, um, you know, I, I forget who it was. Um, I, you know what, actually, I think it was uh, Brian Borland, but it might have been Kotelnecki that basically was asked a question about, like, how do these guys feel about getting recruited over? Um, oh, you know what, actually, no, it was it was, it was Leipold. Leipold. Yeah, yeah, it, it was Leipold. You know, and his point was, well, like, one, I don't think that anybody got recruited over. Like, it, that pushes them to be better. But just the fact that, you know, it, you bringing in more guys typically can cause some rifts, especially with the guys that have been here for a while, because they do see it as getting recruited over. And that's usually because the vast majority of teams will focus on the most talented guys and leave them on the field as much as possible. Um, which, if there's a huge difference between the backup and the starter, then, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you don't want that huge drop-off if you can help it. But if you can get guys that are fairly close in talent um, or even guys that play really well at a very specific thing, the more guys you can get on the field, the fresher everybody's going to be, the more options you have, and the more versatile those guys are, the easier it is to kind of give different looks out of the same personnel grouping. So I think the attitude that they have instilled in a lot of the players, the way that they've really kind of pulled all this together, and this doesn't feel like in the past you've, you know, you've, you've talked to players in breakouts where you can pretty much tell that they're kind of saying what they know they need to say so that the coach doesn't get mad at them. It, it feels like watching these guys, they really believe what they're talking about with the competition and, you know, adding more guys to the room doesn't take away opportunities. It just makes it easier for everybody to actually be successful in the field. So we'll see if that t turns out being true, if they're able to kind of get big results that we're expecting. Um, but I do want to go ahead and jump over to the offense here in just a second. But before we do, do you have any final thoughts about the defense? No, I mean, the, the season, whether you think they're going to win three, three games, four, five, whatever it is, a lot of it rests on how much better they can be. If they're 10 points better, yeah, they could win four or five games. But if they're better, but it's only like three or four points better per game, then you're probably looking at max like a three-win team. 
Well, and I think a lot of that, too, will depend on how much better they can score offensively. And so we will get to that. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. And you are listening live to the one, the only Tortillas and Takes Podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am here with Derek Johnson, the host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk over on KLWN in Lawrence. Uh, also the host of the Locked on Jayhawks podcast on the Locked on Network. Um we just got done talking about the defense. Looking over to the offense, because I think that's the obviously that's the one that most people are interested about. Uh, typically, like when you go into it, wanting to know who the quarterback's going to be, as you you know, as as we talked about, it was named pretty early, which took away a lot of the drama. I think, even though the door was still technically open for Jason Bean to kind of be the starter, but I think everybody kind of realized that wasn't going to happen. But there there hasn't been nearly as much turnover on offense as I would have thought. But there is definitely some differences with this team. What what do you think is the spot on offense that has the biggest potential to improve coming into the season? Well, if you're looking at it from improvement, I mean, it could just be receiver because the bar they're starting at, like there's talent in that room, but a lot of it is unproven. So that might be the one that has the most to gain. But you know what's funny? Like as great as the running back room we think it is, there's still a lot to gain from last year. Like they averaged 140, something like that, rushing yards per game. They were still one of the bottom teams in the Big 12 in rushing yards per game. So like, uh, again, like as great as Devin Neal was. Devin Neal wasn't the starter for the first few games of the season. Devin Neal ran for like 800 rushing yards. So what if Devin Neal runs for 1,200? That's a lot that you can gain from that position. Um, but yeah, as far as if you're looking at like where they're starting, like receiver has to be it. You're looking for guys to to develop and, and be that guy. I'm high on that Luke Grimm is going to be like the the go-to option for this team. I think Lawrence Arnold obviously has good potential there. Quentin Skinner getting the start is really, really interesting to me. And then if we do get to see Trevor Wilson back at some point, I, I still think Tanaka Scott, who we will see back at some point, not for the first game, obviously, um, still has kind of high potential in there as well. That's the one where you're looking for guys to emerge. You need them to emerge. If Jalen Daniels is going to have as good of a season as he finished out last year, it's not going to come on all passes to the running backs and the tight ends. Like somebody has to step up at receiver. Yeah. And actually there was one guy that I was thinking about that you didn't even mention and Douglas Emmeline, uh, you know, the, the transfer in as well. Like, that is that kind of the position to watch because wide receiver is the one that has the biggest question marks coming out of last year. I mean, Kwame Lasseter was really the only consistent receiver that could, you know, break open a game that could do make those big plays consistently. Um, you always knew coming into this year that they were going to have to find a couple guys that could start doing that to really open up the offense and give them possibilities. Uh, Lawrence Arnold was the guy that was expected to do that. And then he briefly entered the transfer portal and came back and, you know, it's one of those things where ever since then, wide receiver has been kind of the, oh my gosh, what's going to happen position of the entire offense. Um, I, I agree that they definitely need to kind of figure out what their options are, but I was also fairly, I guess, comforted by the fact that the, the coaches in the press conference were talking about how many options they have. Like they don't necessarily have a guy 
that right now you think is going to be the lead guy in the room can be a true number one or is going to be that automatic safety valve. But what it what that option or what they do have is a ton of talented guys that are going to give them that, you know, level two or three wide receiver baseline talent and then the opportunity that they could in individual games jump up and be one of those guys. I, I also agree with you that I think Luke Grimm is kind of one of the he's the guy I'm eyeing for a standout ever since, you know, watching him and Jalen Daniels when they were true freshmen, um, you know, on that, uh, I believe it's on that 2020 team. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it was just like I actually watched them and you could see kind of the chemistry that they had, the way that they were playing well together. And then everything kind of, you know, went to crap for for Daniels and having to deal with the way that that offensive line was. And so I, I do think that there's a decent amount of chemistry there. I do think that there's a good opportunity for those two to become a, a duo that will really open up this offense and allow the Jayhawks to do a bunch of stuff. Like you said, with the running backs, like this is a very talented running back room. I That was like one of my favorite positions to actually do the preview for because it was one of the positions where I didn't know who to pick in like the two or three deep because there's so many good options. Like, do you, do you know, do you assume guys that can do different things are all going to get opportunities to play? Or, you know, do you think that they're going to try to do one style of running or something to that effect? But like Daniel Hyshaw, who was injured last year, coming back and playing really well. And, you know, he was the guy that, that people talked about recruiting over and, and Hyshaw, I think brings a different dynamic to the running game than a lot of the other guys that we have on the roster. And so it it adds something. It gives them more opportunities. And from what I understand, Hyshaw is one of those guys who I think is going to, to actually see a lot more playing time than the average fan probably thinks he's going to get just because we have a lot of very good dynamic runners that are all fairly similar. Kai Thomas, Devin Neal, Sevion Morrison, they all run fairly similarly. Like, obviously, they each have their own strengths, different things that they can do. But if you want to talk about their running style, I think those three grade out pretty similar. Hyshaw is much more of a power runner, a guy that will go up the middle and you know run over people. And that's something that we don't necessarily have a, another proven guy like that on the roster that's able to do that. Hyshaw did that quite a bit his, his freshman year. But speaking about a lot of great options, there are a ton of great options from our sponsor here on the podcast, Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They're not just college anymore because they did add the Indianapolis Colts, but I will still always remember them as a collegiate apparel company. They have more than 130 different logos uh, or schools with great vintage college logos from all of them. They have t-shirts, sweaters, joggers, hoodies, more, all kinds of great stuff. Um, look, I have way too much Home Field stuff. I am both dreading and looking forward to them having a bunch of professional team stuff as well. If the Indianapolis Colts, you know, partnership there is any kind of uh, indication of what's coming for the home field apparel line. But they have tons of great stuff, tons of great Kansas stuff, tons of great. Well, really any college that you can think of for the most part, they have stuff. They are going to continue to keep improving those lines, refreshing those lines. Um the stuff is so great, I have way too much, and I'm sure if you head on over there, you will find tons of stuff that you want to get to. If you use promo code CHALK12, um, your entire, you'll get 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping. So again, homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHALK12, get yourself 15% off your entire first order. Obviously, the two most important positions on the offense, being the quarterback and then the offensive line, we haven't even talked about yet at this point. I think everybody knows what we're going to get from quarterback. The question is just going to be how well Jalen Daniels executes it. And I am kind of curious how Jason Bean is going to get on the field, because I don't think they're going to keep him off the field the entire time. Um, but looking at the offensive line, you know, we, we, we talked about that. 
Um, Jim Panagos, no, was it Jim? I forget. I'm sorry. I'm mixing all my coaches up. The offensive line coach. Uh, I don't actually remember who that is. Oh, uh, Scott Fuchs. Oh yeah, Scott Fuchs. Oh my gosh, yeah. uh, that's fun. I that was the guy that. I thought was the absolute best to come on because I knew how many people were going to mess up his name and I just completely forgot who he was. Anyway, um, so so yeah, he was talking about, you know, if they have eight offensive linemen, they'll come up with packages to make sure all eight offensive linemen can get on the field. Like, that's not something you typically think of as a good thing with the offensive line. But the the sense that you're getting, like, do you, do you think that they're set up that we're going to see a good portion or a, a good number of offensive linemen this year? Or the fact that they have four returning starters and a guy – that can, you know, in, in Armash Reed Adams that can slide over and pretty much fill that last gap. Um, like, are they going to try to go with those five, do you think, most of the year? Or are we going to see quite a few offensive linemen play? I think the reason you would see other guys play is because of injury. So you don't really want it to happen. But also there are times across a game where, you know, maybe especially early in the season, you just want to get some other guys reps or it's it's a hot one and you need someone to come in or some guy just – rolls an ankle and he needs to get it taped up for a few plays or the series or whatever, you're going to see other guys play. But I don't think it's going to be like a natural, hey, we need to get this guy on the field. Because there is some depth questions there with the offensive line. Uh, Like on the two deep, for instance, um, you have James Livingston, who is a true freshman at the right tackle position. And he does have like a a pretty good college-ready body at 6'7", 290. But even then – you don't want to ever be in a position if you're Kansas, if you're really any power five team outside of like, sure, if you're if you're Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama and you bring in this five star offensive tackle who's already six foot five, three hundred and forty five pounds, like, of course, he can start whatever. But for the most part, for these other schools who are recruiting offensive linemen who are two and three stars, those guys take development and you don't want them hitting the field right away. So, like, he's one of your backups. You don't really want him ideally on the field. Um, Nolan Gorsica, I've heard good things about, and he seems to be a versatile offensive lineman that's taken some snaps and can kick out to guard or tackle. Um, but again, he redshirted last year at Buffalo. So how ready is he going to be to play Big 12 football this year? I don't know. Um, you look at Jackson Satterwhite, I don't know a ton about him necessarily. And then you have Dominic Pooney, who was playing D2 football last year at Central Missouri. And it sounds like he's doing well in camp. So it sounds like that's going to be a good transition. But still, there is that question of how are you going to play against Division One? How are you going to play against Power 5 competition? Uh, DeAndre Doran's really the one. He started double-digit games at Buffalo last year. Again, though, you're making a jump off, up from Buffalo to the, the Power 5 level and everything. So really, you look at the backup offensive line and – you don't necessarily have to get through it with all five guys. Like if you can have two or three solid backups where one of them can play left guard and left tackle, and one of them can play right guard or left guard and center. And the other one can play right tackle and left tackle or whatever it is, like whatever mix that you can get to cover those positions that can get you there for the most part, but they were pretty fortunate with health last year from the offensive line. You hope that that can carry over once again, Otherwise, you are going to see those other offensive linemen, but I don't think it's going to really be by, hey, let's see what this guy can provide. I think it is more of a clear, these are our four, five, maybe six best guys, and it's going to be consistently those outside of injury. Yeah, I mean, I think you see a lot of guys that could potentially step in if needed, but I, I do agree. You don't typically want to have a bunch of guys playing on the offensive line. Another guy that could put 
provide some depth would be Kobe Baines, who actually did get cleared to be able to play this year. Um, so it'll be very interesting to kind of see how they how they get all of that to kind of work. I also wouldn't be surprised if some guy develops halfway through the season and you see a switch in the offensive lineman who starts at some point in the season. But it's going to take a lot, I think, for the, for anyone to displace any of the, the starters that we have at this point. But um, that that is a good problem to have, though, so I'm not necessarily going to complain. Let's go ahead and jump in over to the schedule because, you know, looking at this schedule, um, it's difficult for me to find a stretch that I'm looking at and it's like, oh, man, that's just unfair. With the exception of playing at Oklahoma <laughs> on October 15th, then going to Baylor on the 22nd, and then uh, luckily you get a bye week before you welcome Oklahoma State uh, to town, you know, in, in that three-game stretch there. But in general, though, like looking at the schedule, the way that it's set up, especially early, are you like, are you liking the way that this is setting up for them to potentially build some momentum going into the middle of the season? I, I don't know. I kind of feel like, uh, especially when you look at last year, like figuring it out as the season went on, that's not the first time that that's happened for KU, especially with the offensive line. There have been other years where it's like, oh, it's a train wreck early, and then the offensive line kind of figures it out as it goes. Maybe it's different this year because you do have all those returning starters and they already have kind of gelled together in that way. But there is a part of me that's like, oh, I wish the West Virginia game was later in the season as opposed to the second game right away. Now, the other side of me is like, well, you're getting West Virginia coming off a game against Pittsburgh. That's a rival, a team that's very, very physical, has a really good defense. Like they might be a little bit beat up after that game. And you get them coming off while you're playing an FCS opponent where you might not have to give away a bunch from your playbook. So I'm kind of like 50-50 whether you like that where it is or not. I do like the fact that the Duke game is like week four, so you can have some stuff figured out by then. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like, I don't know. I, I guess maybe you would hope for the TCU or the Iowa State game to maybe come a little later in the season to where maybe it'd be easier for them to um, overlook you. Or in the case of Iowa State, not be in October when Matt Campbell has like just this unbelievable record in the month of October. But yeah, I mean, is it really October, though, if it's on the 1st of October? Plus, they don't have Brock Purdy for, you know, the namesake <laughs> Brocktober. So um, I think that definitely helps. But, no, to your point, like, I think the Duke game is far enough in that, that you feel like you've got your feet underneath you. And you do have, it. I think, a, a good advantage in that game in the fact that Duke is breaking in a brand-new coach. Um, there's a lot of question marks there. Duke is not a very good team. They're not expected to be very good at all this year. So that's one that you reasonably feel like you have a good opportunity of winning. Kind of to your point on West Virginia, they're either going to be riding high and carry a lot of momentum from a big win against Pitt, or they're going to have lost against Pitt and be beat up. And, you know, people are already going to start questioning whether JT Daniels is going to be able to, like, lead them to what they want him to do and all of that. Um, you know, like, there that one could go either way. But I do think that Kansas, like, if you're going to play an early conference opponent, a team like West Virginia is the team that you want to play, a team that has some big changes, that has a coach who's potentially in trouble. Like you can, they are under a lot more pressure to win that game than Kansas is to go in and even be competitive in that game. I have a feeling though, like I would not be completely shocked if, you know, Kansas came out of the first five games, three and two, like the way that everything matches up there. Like the only one that I look at of those first five games that is automatically a loss is going on the road to Houston, you know, in week three. But like, Iowa State's breaking in a brand new quarterback. You have to think Hunter Deckers is probably going to be settled in by that point. And, you know, to your point, October is typically when they start to round into form. The question, of course, being, you know, who exactly is rounding into form at that point and, and how much of that is going to carry over. But, 
you know, then you get to play a TCU team that has been struggling and is kind of really up in the air about what they're doing. Um, you know, but I mean, this is the big 12. Like you're going to have a lot of really good teams. You're playing very difficult games. Uh, so like, it's not that the, any of this is unexpected, but before we, uh, before we wrap up for the day, uh, just want like looking through the schedule. What do you think is the most likely ending record for the Jayhawks at the end of the year? I have them at three and nine. It's, you know, to get to three or four wins, it's putting a lot of pressure on that Duke game. And like you said, Duke's not very good. And also the, the quarterback and receiver that kind of lit them up last year, both those guys are gone. They transferred away. So you don't really even have to worry about that anymore in addition to other guys they, they lost. Um, but at the end of the day, that game is probably going to be, I don't know, like Kansas might be favored by three. Kansas might be favored by seven. Who knows? Maybe it's a coin. Maybe Duke's even favored by three. So it's not like a, a guarantee that they win it, which does scare me because every time I factor in like the win losses, I'm just like, oh, they'll beat Tennessee Tech. They'll beat Duke. And I don't know that it is a fully as much of a guarantee as I want it to be, but I do think they'll win both games. And then I just look at one Big 12 game. I don't know if it is the TCU one at home or the West Virginia on the road or maybe even later in the season coming against someone that you're not really expecting. But that's kind of what I'm leaning at. But I'll be honest, like if you if you told me what's more likely winning two games or winning four, I think I would want to lean four, and I don't know if that's just me being optimistic and believing in Lance Leipold, but that's kind of where I'm at. But either way, I'm going over on the two and a half. I I agree with you. I think that four wins is more likely than two. I actually had put over on uh, Blue Wings Rising that I think the worst case scenario for the Jayhawks this year is two two wins only, and, and that's because one, I think that they're they're pretty much guaranteed to get that text that 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 Tennessee Tech win, um, mainly just because you know it's it's difficult, especially with the way that this team is setting up, the way that the program is now. I don't I don't see them looking past a Tennessee Tech team, you know, thinking that it's an automatic win. Um, I just think that they're going to be focused enough on starting the year and doing what they need to do that the talent levels are going to be, you know, more than enough to power them to a win. And and that Duke one, I, I, I agree with you. I think I've gotten to the point where, like, it's hard to imagine that they lose that game. It's theoretically possible, but um, just with all the things they have going on and all the improvements that they had, you have to think that that's one of the ones they're going to win. But, you know, it is one of those things. Like, I, I do think that at least one Big 12 game is likely for them. I, I'm not convinced that Kansas finishes last in the Big 12 this year because TCU struggling, Texas Tech, you don't know what they're going to get. Like, I think that Joey McGuire is going to be fantastic for them in the future, like long-term type of hiring. But as we've seen with plenty of coaches at plenty of locations, it's usually pretty tough the very first year, especially when you are you are a first-time head coach at the college level. And so I think that's something that a lot of people are kind of underselling when they're thinking about how, how good Texas Tech is going to be this year, especially when it's, you know, related to Kansas. So it'll be interesting um, kind of how all of that plays out. But, uh, you know, I, I guess really, I guess, the real final question is how crazy do you think I am for predicting that Kansas is going to go 7-6 and six and win a bowl game this year? Is that true? Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. It's I, a, I mean, it's official on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think like, okay, I'm not predicting it to happen. So it's a little crazy, but I, like there is a world where that happens, right? If, if Jalen Daniels, cause he was, you know, top, I think he was number two in QBR in the big 12, if he would have qualified for enough snaps and whatnot last year, like if that ends up being the case in a big 12, where the quarterback position is a little more unknown this year. And I also don't think there's any like, great teams in the big 12 that are going to make the playoff. If that happens with Jalen Daniels and your running game is as, 
think, and the defense improves by, you know, you're one of the most improved defenses in the country. There is an avenue for them winning six games. Like, I know it sounds crazy. The most they've won is three over the last decade plus. But, like, you think back to the 2018 teams or the 2019 teams, those, team won, those teams won three games. But if they had a couple other coin flips go their way, they might have won four, five, or six. So if yeah. this team is similar to those in terms of talent at some positions, maybe they're lesser at other positions, but better coached and maybe in a better situation with the quarterback and coach to win some of those coin flips, it's it's possible. I, I think six to me is the absolute ceiling of everything went right. Oh yeah, yeah, but for sure. It is like possible. I'm not picking it. Like I said, I, I'm thinking three or four wins, but it's possible. Yeah. To be fair, I was asked for a bold prediction, you know, coming into the year, and I decided to do this way back in January. And I'm not going to like you know shy away from it and say that I never said it. But like looking at the way that this schedule is shaping up. You, I mean, I see a very realistic avenue to Kansas having four wins in the first six games of the season because you have TCU at home. You have, you know, I'm not as sold on West Virginia as a lot of people think, especially early. Like, that's that's one I think that Kansas can actually take advantage of. It's it's not like last year, right, where they played Baylor in game two and the thought mm-hmm. was, oh, man, I don't know how good Baylor is going to be. Like, we found out Baylor was pretty dang good, um, you know, and so Kansas got completely walloped. But I don't, I don't see West Virginia in kind of the same light. You know, Neil Brown is on the hot seat coming into this year. They have a, a transfer quarterback from Georgia who was talented enough to be able to go to Georgia, but, you know, has had some issues in what he's done. Um, and so, like, that's a possible win, uh, one, one that I actually picked, but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost that one as well. But you know, you've got the game against Duke and then, you know, one of Iowa State or TCU. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to think you can get one of those two games at home, um, you know, early in the conference slate. And then, you know, if, if that happens, well, then, you know, who knows what's going on with Texas Tech this year when you get to the end. And, you know, Texas and Kansas State, I am I would be willing to put good money that at least one of them is going to be nowhere near as good as people seem to think that, that they're going to be. Um, Texas, because I just have yet to see it from Texas in a really long time. Every time someone tries to convince me that they're back, um, you know, I, it's like, yeah, what happened the last, f- you know, five times that you said that they were back. So, and then Kansas State, I am nowhere near as sold on Adrian Martinez as everybody else. I am fully prepared to be completely wrong on that one. Um, I guess we, we will find out pretty quickly this season whether Martinez is any good at, at K-State or not. But, um, so like, there's a lot of possibilities there. And again, like you said, everything has to go right. You know, Kansas has to avoid major injuries and find some guys to develop and things like that. But this is also... I think the most stable situation and the most uh, sure that I've ever been that the team is going to get better. It's a question of how much they better they get in what kind of time frame. But it's not like with Les Miles, you know, where it's like, yeah, he brought in a whole bunch of talent, but can he actually do something? Like, I can't point to a very to a, an issue or a flaw in the way that Lance Leipold approaches coaching the game, like I could with a David Beatty or with a Les Miles. Like, there wasn't nearly as much to nitpick, and so. I'm very interested to see how all of this happens throughout the rest of the year. And I am fully prepared to get absolutely piled on when, when Kansas comes nowhere near that, especially since I picked that they would beat K state to actually do it. So um, I, I'm ready to get piled on when that, when that potentially happens, but I am fairly confident in this team. I think that they are going to see big improvements and I'm willing to like, this is the first time that I'm actually willing to buy in without being guarded about like, Oh my gosh, like why am I feeling good about this team again because they've beat me down so many times I don't know it's just it feels like I said at the beginning of our 100 day countdown to the beginning of KU football that like this team just feels different the way Lance Leipold has constructed this staff and the way that the team is carrying itself 
it feels like it's a completely different program than anything that Kansas had in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And having a full season of off season, everything is, is super helpful. It's just, it's tough. There's uh, the big 12 competition and, and the schedule makes it really tough to get up there. So you're a little more optimistic than me, but like I said, if, if all that stuff hits, then the ceiling is there. Yeah. It's going to happen at some point. So I figured I might as well go big now and, you know, jump in on the ground floor so that I can tell everybody I told you so. So, all right. Well, Derek, um, for those that want to hear what you are talking about with, with the Jayhawks, all of your coverage, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at D Johnson radio. Uh, you can listen to me on rock truck sports talk, KLWN Monday through Friday from three to six or on uh, locked on Jayhawks. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, where it's Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. Uh, if, if you can give us the rating and review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. Um, but if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network with a bunch of great shows covering all the teams in the Big 12. And we just had a big announcement. Our, we, our network is now teaming up with the Sports Drink Network as well. So make sure you follow all of the great shows over there. Go to sportsdrink.org to get, catch all of the Sports Drink shows or go to 1012network.com to catch all the 1012 ones. So, But that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you guys visit our sponsors here on the podcast, Prize Picks. We just announced them this last weekend. Great stuff that they have over there. And, of course, Home Field Apparel, promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But, uh, Derek, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. Sports Social Podcast Network.